0: welcome to in the center of her power podcast where you can get divine feminine soul food the divine feminine is re-establishing itself in the world and you need tips and tools to make it your own greetings this is Sana Green thank you for joining me for another episode of Center Her Power podcast I'm really excited today because I have the author of Shallow Waters Anita Kopaz with me here today and um, thank you so much for joining me Anita it's
1: such an honor to be here thank you for having me
0: Yes, I am just going to tell our listeners a little bit about you. You are an award-winning writer, spiritual advisor, and spiritual advisor. And you are also the former editor-in-chief of Heart and Soul magazine, as well as the managing editor of Beauty Sense magazine. And when um, you're not writing, you can find your, I can, we can find you on the dance floor or traveling the world with your children. And you are living in New York City right now with your family. Is that right? Yes. Okay, excellent. You know, I want to tell you, I am so excited to finish reading your book. So very excited. I mean, I love when a book really grabs me and and gives me a really strong emotional feeling. And before I even got to page 20, I had to stop to think because I started seeing, because my slip started hanging. So I was seeing some of my own stuff, and I'm like, "Wait a minute! I need to find out what what are we try, what are we hoping to achieve here?" So I'm going to read a little, a, a short passage from the book, and um, and you can you can kind of fill us in once I read the passage and give us some background and and tell me tell us what your thinking was when you were writing it. Countless suns rise and fall before I see Obatala again. I found a tattered rope attached to the rear of the first ship. At night, I tied it around my waist with a special squid knot my father taught me. This allows me to rest a bit. I imagine it's far more pleasant than being held on board. My first thought is she willingly goes into bondage. Like she willingly ties herself to this ship.
1: And I'm like, no, don't do it. Go back. Go back. So tell me, what were you thinking when you wrote this? Absolutely. Um, so a part of what I was thinking when I was writing this was to show a different perspective of the middle passage. So the, the character, the protagonist is Yemeya, who is a, a Yoruba orisha, a goddess, a um, a spirit. Sometimes they won't say goddess, more more like a spirit, um, said to be the mother of us all, the mother of the ocean. She watched over our ancestors as they went over the middle passage. That's what she was said to do. And in this moment, she is following her beloved. She's 17 years old, has fallen in love. And so it's that energy of, I will do anything for him and so yes she put herself in bondage in order to follow him so that she could try to save him and um it is it i mean it's it's a it's something that we do in life i would say you know sometimes we we put ourselves in bondage bondage in order to to follow something or someone who we love and Eventually, I know you haven't got to the part, but, you know, she finds herself. <laughs> we
0: do have to go through some things in order for us to really understand who we are not. Yes. Often, who we are not. And then who we can ask ourselves the question, who am I in the face of this? Mm. In the face of what's happening, who who am I choosing to be in the situation? And so, I know that it's going to be a great book. You know, it reminds me of um, books that I've read by two of my favorite author- authors, Octavia Butler and Tanerive Doo. Mm-hmm. I I love to be able to be transported to another place while I'm reading the book. And so I'm already, because I'm emotionally attached already before page 20, I'm like, oh, okay, I I, got to sit down, I got to process. So to me, art is always giving us the opportunity to know ourselves better. Yes, yes. And the other opportunity we have here is to examine water. What is water? water? What, what is it metaphorically, metaphysically, spiritually? I read at the beginning of your book that you used to swim in the ocean a lot when you were a child. And can you tell me what is, what has water been for you in your life?
1: I have always been so connected to water. I only drink water. That's the only thing that I can drink. <laughs> I'll have a smoothie once in a while. But other than that, I only drink water. And um, I, you know, ever since I was young, I would float in the ocean. And I know my mom would have to pay attention so I wouldn't float out into because I'm like literally closing my eyes and just floating in the ocean.
0: Oh, I just love that. Don't you I just love that? I love
1: it. I love it. <sighs> And um, even as a spiritual psychologist, uh, water represents the unconscious, water represents emotions, water represents so many different things in the spiritual realm. It's cleansing. It is, you know, we pour out libations. We are baptized in water, you know, like there's so many different things and And the healing of the waters is such an important thing right now. I was actually in Martha's Vineyard last week, and I saw a group of um, black people in the water, and they were chanting. And there were so many of them sitting in the Atlantic Ocean. And all I could think of was they are healing the waters, because these are the same waters that our ancestors went over. And so many chose to dive over and jump overboard. And so it just felt like I could feel them healing the waters. And um, the the woman who wrote the foreword for me, Dr. Love, she was actually explaining to me that um, in her generation, she's in, from an older generation, that um, that they were taught to fear water um you know whether it was from pools being drained because their families went in them you know th- traumatic experiences like that or or just and being passed down ancestrally of being scared of the water from going over the middle passage and so i think what's happening right now is that we are returning <clears throat> to the power of water and the cleansing abilities of water and how we're so connected our bodies are water, you know? I I I can't remember the exact thing, but it's some, you know. Yeah, over 75%, over 75% water. Mm-hmm. And so as we clear clear that and bring in that healing, I'm just really excited to see what happens next with all of us. <laughs> you know, I live near there. I live near
0: fresh water. I live in Michigan, so I live very close to um a lake and a river. Beautiful. And so and there's there's water all around us and I have felt like like the water and the earth need healing and are calling for it. And so yes. and sometimes I sing to the water or I you know do a prayer or a blessing in, in the water and then pour it into the water. When I studied Feng Shui, actually I studied feng shui at the Open Center in New York Beautiful. City. And um, we used to do a a ritual when we started the, the the classes, where we would all chant the six true words in a vase of water, and and put that on the altar during the time of the class. And so so water is is so significant, and it has a life of its own, and we can speak life into it or death into it. Yes. So I'm really, really fascinated with how you have utilized water as a metaphor in the book. Already, just at the beginning, I can tell that the ocean is, is, is like a character in the book. Would you say that that's
1: probably true? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's at, you're going deep. Listen, we're diving straight in. <laughs> like, you're like, I'm not going to be asking any of the questions that anyone else has been asking <laughs> Yes, yes, because Yemeya is, to me, Yemeya is the ocean. So when I step into the ocean, I'm talking to Yemeya. Like that is a part of it. In, in the book, she is a character, but she is a representation of the ocean.
0: Yes. And one of my favorite movies, I don't know if you've ever seen it, is Moana. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen it? I love Moana. Yeah. <laughs> I love Moana. I know all the songs. And in, in that book, the water is, you know, there's a relationship yes. with with the ocean and the ocean talks to her. And, and I think it's just really fascinating because do you think that you would classify yourself as primarily an artist or primarily a healer?
1: This is a beautiful question because I actually have, um, have returned to that this past year to that question because I've considered myself a healer for most of my life since I was probably 18. So I was around 18 when I started giving spiritual readings and, um, having clients in that way of, of helping people in, in, uh, with their spiritual life. And, um, so I've always considered myself uh, a healer. And I also feel to me that um, healing and artistry go hand in hand and that, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been healed by a song and, you know, how many Indie I re- <laughs> you know songs have helped me through really hard times in life and um so i think that there is a a deep connection between being a healer and being an artist and there's so many different ways that we can interconnect and weave those things together and this um shallow waters to me was the healing of my ancestral wounds it, that was my my personification of it and um and so i'm hoping that it can do the same for others. One of the main intentions that I put in the book was that black women remember who we really are. And, you know, a side thing that has been really beautiful is that there are indigenous women, white men, Asian women, all kinds of different people telling me that they're remembering who they are and as they read it. So it's just beautiful to me that... Um, it's kind of transcending in in different ways, and and for me the that what's very powerful within the book is that it's not um, white saviorism, right? Like it's not about this, but there are allies within the book but um i'm not going to give away anything but you will you eventually you'll see that you know a, a white person was never able to save yameya yeah, she had to save herself and um so there's this i think it's it's almost like um is it jambalaya when everything is kind of like mixed together it's like a jambalaya of <laughs> All yes. kinds of different things put together to make this this yummy stew.
0: <laughs> you know, and I think you're uniquely qualified because you've mentioned in, in a couple of interviews that I've seen that you are biracial. Your father is, is Polish or European. Yes. What do you think um how have you addressed the wounds that um Europeans and whites may have had in relationship to the slave trade um mm-hmm. i I mean I guess I wanted to ask is for for you how how can it be healed i really i feel you know i wanted to I should tell you this I've done fourteen episodes of the podcast, and um four of those episodes have had biracial people oh wow, so clearly there is something for me to learn and or something that god would have me share through the podcast that will be transformational in some way it's been difficult for me to ask any questions because you know i i was clumsy and i couldn't figure out how how best to ask because i'm not sure how to how to respond to that so with people that i've known for years and they they say you know i'm by bi- i'm biracial and i'm thinking what well, do i am i how do i honor that part of you mm-hmm. so What can you share with us about not just healing for people of African descent, but but healing for people of European descent as it relates to the transatlantic slave trade?
1: So I feel like um, everyone taking responsibility for their own healing. I think that Black women and Black men have been taking the brunt of, you know, of first of all trying to heal themselves, but then everyone else calling upon their black friends to, um, hold them as their healing. And I think for, um, for white people, I think the most important thing is to take responsibility for your ancestors, take responsibility for your healing and, um, not putting it on to, uh, onto the backs of, um, a, a black people while you're doing it. And, um, it, so that would be, you know, connecting with other white people who are on this journey with you. And perhaps there will be times when some of your friends can hold space for you, but not, not, um, demanding that space. And it is very important. And I'm sure very, it's, it's an in, intense healing for all of us and, um, as a biracial person, I mean I, I do consider myself a black woman even though I am biracial. <laughs> but- yes, of
0: course, because we, we 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 receive and accept um we receive and accept all those pretty much who will who, who accept us. Yes. I, I would say. I mean and, and most of us who are in this country are a mixture of a variety of things. That's very
1: true. That is very true. Which we all see now that everyone's doing their their <laughs> their ancestry.
0: Yeah, the DNA, and then the DNA, and because really race is 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 a is a construct. It's, it's something. It's not. It doesn't really exist because there could be someone who was um, on ge- genealogically was twenty five percent white and seventy five percent black, and and not you couldn't tell it by the way they look. Yep. So it really is a construct, but I think. It's something that he, here in the United States, we really do have to address because it's still very prevalent Absolutely. for us. And I definitely think that people who are biracial, that this is a unique time, that there's something that that biracial people can do that maybe others of us can't in this process of healing. Not that everyone, not that you're responsible for healing anyone, but I think just bringing it forth gives us the opportunity to heal it within ourselves. Yeah,
1: there is there is this concept of a, of a bridge, right? Like that, that that I am a bridge between two different parts of the world, and um, I feel like I have um, accepted that part of of my reality, and um, I'm also a bridge in so many different ways. That's that's an archetype that that um, has followed me throughout my journey, and. Yeah, so I would say that being biracial has been um, a part of that, building that bridge. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I'm glad that you're doing it because when I've been in situations where I was the only black person and maybe they were in in the white people who I was working with wanted me to kind of be a representative or a bridge, it was too emotional for me to do it. So I honor you for serving that role is so necessary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And sometimes it gets emotional for me and I'd let them know. I I don't really Mm -hmm. hold my tongue in those places. (laughs) So, yes, it does. It can be emotional. But when I do, when I do have the bandwidth, um, I do like to share. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I know that you're a spiritual psychologist. So... (sighs) If you could walk us through how did you get to um what what role how is your how was your training as a spiritual psychologist being kind of played out in this book? I you know were you able to process some things through the writing of this book that maybe you um had to address while you were studying or working as a spiritual psychologist?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most beautiful things about um practicing spiritual psychology is that um, when I'm talking to my different clients, I don't have private clients anymore, but I did for a number of years, is that I, you know, really learn uh, behaviors and learn the way people move throughout the world and how they think. And because I'm seeing all of these different perspectives, I was able to put Um, some of that in the book as far as just different perspectives and how people think and how people move. And for me, uh, as far as having the book be uh, a healing aspect within my uh, healing of my ancestral traumas, that that was huge because I would have moments where I would have to stop writing because I'm, you know, remembering or feeling in my body how it felt to be in chattel slavery or, you know, like those type of things. I would have to stop and really, really um, process that and talk to my ancestors. And one of the things that was really amazing that they said they told me, right, was that that it's time for me to let go of the pain and the anger because they've already done it. When they left the flesh, they had let it go, is what they told me. And one of the main things that I'm holding in my body, that they said I was holding in my body, was the loss of children. So whether it was the loss of children through being sold through slavery, whether it was the loss of children, you know, just death during that time, but that I'm holding on to that. And so... um which then makes sense because Yemeya is, she basically watches over the children. That's a goddess who watches over children. She is about, you know, um, uh, fertility. So if somebody is trying to get pregnant, they could pray to Yemeya. And, um, so that, and, and as you go through the book, you'll see that there are a lot of different children, um, characters within the book. And, so yes, I would say that that um my spiritual psychology played a large role in writing the book in dealing with the um any sort of uh any any sort of emotions that came up while I was writing and and yeah, pretty
0: much. <laughs> So how has it been for you um, as you've been promoting the book? Um, is this something that you dreamed about, like in the, in the past, and how is it um, achieving your dream?
1: Oh, yeah. A- anyone who's my friend, they have, they have heard me set intentions about this. Um, I have gone to I don't even know how many oceans around the world and petitioned Nehemiah, threw out seven pennies, um, molasses, and spoke with her, asked her to um, give me whatever it need, whatever I need so that the story is her story and what she wants out there. And um, I write living visions, which are straight up like writing exactly how I want uh, my book to be received, how I want people to feel. I've done... So much work, which was it was really interesting because it it almost felt like that was the journey. The amount of intention that I put out there, and now that it's happening, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. When we're on a journey, we get to a destination, right? Which sometimes, when you're a seeker, it feels very strange to find, right? It's like, oh God, yes, for sure for so long and it's here in front of me and um you know getting the feedback from the book has been um, they have been jewels for me if if we want to even bring in the metaphor of the ocean it feels like it's the treasure chest where I get to see the jewels and uh, what people are receiving from it from the story it is a very intense story and um So it's, you know, really beautiful to see the jewels and, and people are, and you've read some of it. So, you know, people are having, um, they're, they're reading it to their children who are like 10 and under. And I never, ever, ever thought or intended that because it's an intense story. And, and I'm just seeing like, there's little children, like, Painting pictures of Yameya because they're so touched by the story. And I'm so happy that this part of history is being shared with young children so that they have this awareness as they're moving in. And they have their parents to explain the harder parts within the story. Um, It's really a beautiful experience seeing all of this feedback.
0: Well, congratulations! It's a it's a it's a wonderful book. You know, you seem to be a person who's really living, um, living. Uh, you know, I guess on social media, we all look like we're living our best lives, but <laughs> but yours looks real. what we put put out there. That's out there. <laughs> yes, it is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Now, do you have any plans for how you for other? Ways you might be utilizing the book, like for a movie or
1: play, yes. or a children's book. Yes, all all of those have um, come up. I've started, I've started the process of a few of them, and then I got the message to calm down <laughs> and receive receive this. <coughs> excuse me, to calm down and receive this moment. And so uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm receiving. But, I mean, the children's book, I would love to see it as a Broadway play. I've actually seen parts of it in my mind. um, At at my book release ceremony, Um, my cousin Alyssa Short, who is on Tina on Broadway, she did a dance to um, my sister Michelle reading the first page of the book, the prologue, And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this would be such an amazing Broadway show. Um, A few years, I mean, I I don't know how long ago, but they had Fela on Broadway with, um, you know, Nigerian music. And so I was seeing like a mix of that and, you know, it's it just was I'm like, how are they going to make her a mermaid in the ocean? You know, because they always do so many amazing things. And then, of course, I mean, I would love for it to be a film. And the process is, is things are happening behind the scenes. So,
0: you know, I would love to see I would I would come to see that Broadway play. I would travel to New York just to see your play. <laughs> I would love to see that. Love to see that. So are there any, um, closing thoughts that you want to leave us with in regard to your book? Um, and I know that you also do retreats. Yes. Um, did you want to, do you have any things coming up that you would like to share? Yes.
1: We have, um, the Goddess Wisdom Council. We do retreats around the world and we have a retreat coming up November 5th through November 9th in Mexico. And it's called the Presence Retreat. It uh, it is actually our first um, uh, co-ed retreat. We've always done women's retreats, and it's it is almost full, but you know there still are a couple of spots left. And it's really beautiful. Um, as far as there's there's five of us, and we all teach different things. I um, I teach healing of sacred sensuality. Uh, my sister teaches yoga. She's her name is Ivana. She teaches yoga and the, and and embodiment. And then uh, Yadi teaches sacred purpose. And then Cora teaches being in the present moment and moving from your head into your heart. And then Corianne teaches. Um, uh, there's there's different things about just inner beauty, and also organization. And it's it's transformational, I would say, even for us, each retreat, because what happens is each person brings in um, their, their own story. So we re- really don't even know what the tr- retreats are going to be like until we're there in the present moment. And um, I'm very excited for that. Thank you.
0: Well, that's wonderful. It sounds like it's going to be a wonderful time. You know, if we hadn't, if we had more time, I would love to hear about sacred sexuality and how you, and how you teach that and how, how you've moved through that. Because I, I know, um, that, um, well, I heard on another interview that you've had some challenges, yes. um, in the past. So I would love to be able to hear some of that, that story yeah. maybe another time. So maybe I can contact you for another interview. Absolutely. About
1: that. Yeah. I would be happy to. <laughs>
0: That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, um, Anita Kopaz, author of Shallow Waters. Thank you so much for joining us on Center Her Power podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In the Center of Her Power podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like or subscribe on whatever listening service you use. I am your host, Sana Green, and I sincerely hope you were fed with divine feminine soul food.